Hey, while they're doing that, uh, grab your bulletin, and uh, if you would, take note of some of these announcements that are in there, a couple of them that we want to, uh, to draw your attention to this morning. Uh, we have some new classes coming up starting in two weeks from today on May 1st. I don't even like to say May 1st coming up in two weeks. Anybody else? Years just flying by for me at least. Um, May 1st, we have a, a couple classes. We have our basic, basic Bible class, uh, which is going to take place at 9 o'clock in the Turtle Cove Room, uh, which is out these doors and to your left and then on your right. And uh, then at 11.30 after the service, we have a, a class that's going to be on the book of James. And so we invite you to, to make plans now to attend both of those that are, that are going to be uh, taking place. Um, also on the 1st, we start a new message series. Uh, we've titled it Green Thumb, and uh, there's some information about that in your bulletin as well. And I just wanted to, to make you aware of that. Hopefully that'll be uh, exciting for you, and maybe it will appeal uh, to some of your friends and neighbors as well. We invite you to encourage them to come. There are some uh, invite cards on the Connect table if you'd like to just, uh, you know, kind of slyly drop that on their desk as you're walking by or something like that. We invite you to do that as well. Uh, one other thing that I did want to tell you about is on May the 14th, uh, we are going to our annual Trenton Thunder game. And uh, the tickets, uh, to sign up for tickets, that's on the Connect table as well. And Corey would love to take your money for that too. So um, she would, she'd love to do that. So if you have any, any questions about that, be sure and let us know. We are, uh, we're in week four of our Red Letter Day series. And, and uh, if you have your Bibles or you know, a mobile phone with your Bible on it or something, um, I invite you to turn to John chapter 19. John chapter 19. And uh, let's see, over here in this section, heads up. I know he said he'd pass them out later, but you might get hungry now. So one more. And go. Okay, you ready? Um, Kim, I don't know how well my shot's going to be here. So there you go, right there. How's that? Robin, you ready? Oh, too hard. Okay, we'll try again. Oh, that's coming at you. You're not even looking. All right, I better stop before I get somebody hurt. All right, Annabelle, you ready? Dave, you're way too old, but there you go. All right, here we go. That's as much fun as you're going to have this morning. That's it. You ready? We'll pray and go home. Call it. No, I'm kidding. Um, John chapter 19 is where we're going to be. We're going to be at verses 28 through 30. So hopefully you've, you've found that by now. We're, we've been looking at, at the sayings of Jesus on the cross and, and uh, Red Letter Day and, and what Jesus said. And, and if, to just give you a little bit of context you know, of what's going on, uh, prior to this, Jesus has, has had the Last Supper and he's gone out. And uh, he's, he's prayed uh, in the garden, and he had, he had you know, sweat, like drops of blood coming off you know, of his forehead. He was so intense about praying. And, and uh, Jesus was then taken, and he was beaten to within an inch of his life. And they, they pounded on him. They put the crown of thorns on him, and they, he carried his cross. You know, it, was just, it was just rough. And, and they took him up and laid him down on the tree, and they crucified him. They put uh, spikes through his hands or his wrists and, and his feet, and and he hung there on the cross for you and for me. And, and when Jesus was hanging there on the cross, he said things. He said things like, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing, or they, know not, they do not know what they're doing. He, he, he said, he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He, he was forsaken by God because of our sins. And last week, we looked at the phrase there in John 19, 28, where it said, later, knowing that all was now completed and the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. And in doing so, he fulfilled the prophecy and, and he fulfilled what needed to be done. And he showed once again that, hey, if you were wondering who I am or, or if I'm the chosen one, I'm just showing you once again that I am the chosen one. That's what Jesus was saying. I am the Messiah. 
And in verse 29, it reads like this. It says, a jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. And so they gave him a drink of wine vinegar whenever he was thirsty on the cross. And then we get to verse 30, and this, this very intriguing verse, the Bible says, when he had received the drink, Jesus said these three amazing words in English, one word in the Greek, it is finished. It is finished. Imagine the moment that Jesus got to at this point on the cross, and he cries out, it is finished. Now, we don't really know if it was a triumphant cry like, it's finished! Or if it was a soft, gentle whisper of, it's finished. But we know that Jesus declared to God, it's done. The work that you sent me here to do, this task that was before me, it's done. It's finished. The Bible goes on to say that Jesus completed it with with that, or the text tells us that with that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. He did what God sent him here to do. The word it is finished is that one Greek word, to tell us die. And it simply means uh, to end or to complete, to execute or to discharge a debt. And I invite you to write that down if you want to take a few notes. Jesus says, I did it. I paid the debt. I finished it. I did precisely what you called me here to do. And this word is a, is a real interesting word because it has three basic meanings. And, and the first one is like when a servant would come back to his or her master and would say the word, it's finished. I have completed the task that you sent me to do. My work is finished. It's kind of like finishing up that term paper, right? It's finished. Or a project at work, it's finished. That's the, that's the concept. That's the idea. There's, a, there's another way it was used. A merchant, if he had bought or sold something, they would place a stamp on a piece of paper like the invoice, and it would say, paid in full. Paid in full, it's done, it's completed, you owe me nothing. It's it's like your mortgage, hopefully someday. You'll get that back from the bank and it'll say, paid in full, you owe me nothing more, right? It's finished. And the third way was when someone would bring a sacrificial lamb or, or an animal before the priest, And the priest would inspect the animal to make sure that it was worthy of sacrifice. And if the animal didn't have spot or blemish, it was considered to be perfect. And he would say, this is worthy to be sacrificed. This animal is finished. It is ready. And Jesus said on the cross before God, it is finished. And he said, I did it. And and history has been changed. God's work for us through forgiveness was done there on the cross. And, and some people may ask the question, and I've been asked the question, well, what, what exactly did Jesus finish? What, what did he get done? There's lots of things he did, he did and he accomplished through his life here on earth. And, and one of the things that, that we talked about uh, before is, is all the prophecies that Jesus fulfilled. And if you go through the Old Testament, you would find prophecy after prophecy after prophecy that Jesus fulfilled. And I just want to read a couple of them to you. Amos prophesied that darkness would befall the land. And it was fulfilled. Isaiah said that Jesus would be rejected, and he was. Psalm said that he would be betrayed. Isaiah said he would be beaten, spit upon, wounded, and bruised for our transgressions, and he was. Psalm said that he would be mocked, and he was. Zechariah said he would be forsaken by his friends, and he was. Isaiah said that he would pray for his persecutors, and he did. Isaiah also says that he would be crucified beside thieves, and he was. Prophesied that he would be pierced. And he was, that they would give him wine vinegar to drink, and they did. That Jesus would cry out, I'm thirsty, and he did. It's finished. All these prophecies, and there's so many more. Jesus fulfilled them. He fulfilled all of that 
but he also completed a grander work that God sent him to do. The sacrifice was perfect. The debt was paid in full. Sin had lost its power. Sin had lost its sting. And for those who are in Christ, we know that. And and Jesus looked up to heaven and He said, God, I finished what You called me here to do, what You sent me here to do. And that is the best news that we could ever hear, that Jesus did what we could not do. He finished what we could not. That's the good news. Can I tell you there's also some bad news? Because even though Jesus finished, you haven't. You're not done yet. As long as you still have breath in you, you have unfinished business. We all have unfinished business to attend to. It's something that we all need to recognize is that we're not done yet. In Revelation chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, Scripture says, I know your deeds. You have a reputation for being alive, but you're dead. Wake up, strengthen what remains, and is about to die, for I have not found your deeds complete in the sight of my God. We have unfinished business. It was, about, it was about 19 years ago whenever I came to this you know, realization, and it wasn't like a big light or anything, but it was just one of those aha moments for me that I was being called to do this on a full-time basis, that I was being called into vocational ministry. And it was, it was scary, and it was exciting uh, all at once. I'm the type of guy that once I kind of figure it out, I'm going, right? I'm going to just put my head down, and here we go. And so uh, I was determined at that point when you're 19 and you've got it all figured out, that I was going to be the best preacher ever. And people were going to be lining up to come hear me. Now, why are you laughing? <laughs> I was going to do it all. And, you know, I just had these, this grand vision and this thing about what I was going to do. And, and then God didn't exactly want me to go into preaching ministry. You know, he had other plans for me. And, and I, I learned and I adapted and, and I went with what God was leading me to do. About seven years ago, I kind of woke up to the fact that I kind of put it on cruise control. You ever gotten there in your life? I, I, can, I can do this, right? And you just kind of put it on cruise control. And you, you've, you've got the systems in place. You've got the plan. You, you plan to work and you work the plan and it's all going, right? And you just kind of do that. I was running a, a youth ministry and things were going great. Had a great youth staff and kids were coming and all this stuff was happening. It just kind of, yeah, I can do this. But I'd lost that, that passion. I'd lost that desire. I lost that, that, that striving thing that was going to pursue and, and really try to help people, as we say here, discover and experience the life-changing love of Christ. I kind of lost that. And I was reminded that I have unfinished business. And no, I didn't think about it that way. It was just, hey, you've got work to do. You've got a responsibility here. And so it was one of those refocusing, and again, not a bright light going, oh, but it was, you know, that time where you just go, I I need to get back in the game. I've got to do this. I've got to do this well. And so kind of recommitted to to helping people and and being a part of, you know, sharing the truth of God's Word and watching people's lives be changed, not because of what I was doing, but because of what God was doing in them and through them. I have unfinished business. Can I ask you a question? What's your unfinished business? What's your unfinished business? In the bulletin on the back there, there's some lines there. And I would challenge you to write down what are some of those things? What's some unfinished business that you have? Maybe for you, uh, it's something God has burdened you to do. He's created within you this desire to do. 
Maybe God's calling you to adopt or, or to be a foster parent. Maybe you need to invite your neighbors over for a cookout. Maybe it is that your unfinished business is to forgive someone that you just haven't forgiven. Maybe your unfinished business is to get out of debt or to share the love of Christ with someone you love who's far from God. Why is that important? Why is it important that we work on finishing up our unfinished business? Because Every day that God blesses us with life, opportunity to live, and another opportunity to share, and another opportunity to take a step closer to what God has called us to do. It's another opportunity to finish the work. You see, Jesus finished well. And many of us, if we're really honest, we have these great ambitions, and we start off real well. It's like, you know, a runner who doesn't run very often, and you see this a lot in 5Ks, which is, you know, 3.2 miles. They're like, oh, yeah, no problem. They take off like a shot. About a mile, you're passing them by because they're over on the side of the road going, <gasps> right? Because we start off well. We have these great, great intentions. But can we be like Christ? Can we, can we finish well? I want to give you a couple thoughts today as we ask the question, um, how do we finish strong? Because we want to finish strong. We want to finish well. The first thing that I think we need to do is simply make a commitment. We need to make a commitment. Now, I know as I say that, there's a pushback immediately. Like, wait, what do you make a commitment? I've made a commitment. And I just have to ask you to ask yourself this question. Have you really? Have you really made a commitment? Because I think that our view of commitment has been skewed. Uh, I think that maybe we don't exactly understand what it really looks like. Paul wrote these words in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 11. Now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. I think in our culture today, we've redefined commitment with this eager willingness. We have an eager willingness, but we really don't have that commitment. You make a commitment, let's say, to lose weight, right? We make a commitment to lose weight, and yet, I would argue that it's just an eager willingness to lose weight. You know how I know? Because we still have the double stuffed Oreos in our pantry. Right? Or is that just me? <laughs> you see, we have the desire, we have an eager willingness, but we don't make that commitment. Commitment is not until you really change what it is going to take in order for you to complete what it is. If you're not willing to commit, then it's just an eager willingness. In the spring of 1950, Cortez received permission from the governor of Spain to take 11 ships and over 500 men uh, to go explore this new world. They sailed with this Eager willingness is what I'm going to call it. They, they, they sailed and they, they went out and they wanted to, to increase Spain's territories, right? They wanted to, to do all those things and, and find all this new stuff. And when they landed in Veracruz, their eager willingness started to wane. In fact, it waned pretty quickly because what they discovered was there were people who didn't really want them there. They were being attacked and they were being uh, persecuted and tortured and, you know, chasing. And, and so the, the people, the men who came, they started, you know, having this little mutiny. They're like, you know what? This isn't all it, cra it was cracked up to be. I want to go home. I don't like the food. I don't like the fact that somebody's chasing me every day trying to cut my head off. This is not a lot of fun. They had an eager willingness. And now their eager willingness was gone. And you know what Cortez did whenever he got wind of the revolt? You probably already know the story. He commanded... Uh, some of his uh, people that, that came with him, some of his men, to burn the ships. And they did. Can I tell you what happens when you burn your ships? <laughs> you got nowhere to go but where you are. That was commitment. Cortez was saying, we're not going back. I'm committed, now you're committed. Let's do this together. 
So how do we finish strong? We've got to make a commitment. We need to commit to having that type of resolve, especially when it comes to our relationship with Jesus Christ. We need to have that commitment level that, that draws the line in the sand and says, there's no going back. There's, there's no turning around. I'm going this way because that's what God has called me to do. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus was, was battling, I think, over what he knew was going to happen. Scripture says that the stress and the agony were so intense that, that literally the capillaries in his skin were bursting under the distress and, and he was literally sweating blood. You hear it in his words in, in Luke chapter 22, verse 42. Scripture says, Jesus says these words, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Jesus is crying out, Father, if there's any other way, please, can we do it some other way? Can we do it in, in a different form or fashion? Because I think Jesus knew what was coming and, and he really probably didn't want to. And yet look at what he says. And this is where I think he drew the line in the sand and he stepped across it and he said, there's no going back when he said, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus was willing to commit to do the work that God sent him to do so he could cry out, it is finished. And if we're going to finish strong, we need to make a commitment. We need to make that commitment with great resolve. That's what we're going to do. The second thing that I want to suggest we need to do is not just make a commitment, but we need to take a step. We need to take the next step. And I invite you to write that down as well. We need to take the next step. And after we take that step, you know what we're going to do? We're going to take another step. And after we take that next step, what do you do? You take another step. And you take step after step. Why? Because oftentimes we view it this way. We see where we are in life and where we are in our relationship with God and where the Scripture calls us to be. And we see this great chasm between the two. And we wonder, how in the world am I ever going to get from there to here? And, and sometimes we look at that and go, I, 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 just, I just can't. And so what do we do? We had an eager willingness, but we really didn't commit. So we, we stopped. We just stand over here and go, man, it would be nice, but I'm just not like that. Yeah, I'd love to pray more, but I just, I just can't. I'd love to... I can't. Anybody else ever been there? I think we all are there at some point. And, and what do we do? Well, we need to take the next step because it's not that we can or we can't. We can through what God is going to do through us because God will give us the strength to do that, to take that next step. We need to take one step after another step after another step. We need to, to take the, the step in realizing that, that God is with us and God's Word provides for us. Um, in Psalm chapter 119, verse 105, Scripture says, Your Word is a lamp to my feet and a light for my path. God says that He's going to illuminate our path for us so that we know the steps to take, so that we can walk by faith in Him. The, the amazing thing about this journey of life, and, and something that I'm thankful for, but I'm frustrated by at the same time, and maybe you can relate to this as well, we're, we're trying to follow God, and we're trying to do what He's called us to do, and, and we say, God, if you'll just show me, I'll go. Anybody ever been there? God, if you just show up tonight in a dream and tell me exactly what I'm supposed to do, I'm in, right? If you can show me how this is all going to work out, this situation we're in right now is really cruddy, God, but if you can show me how it's going to work out, I'm in, right? I'll trust you more, I'll believe you more. And yet, by God's grace, I believe, He only gives us about that much. He gives us enough to take the next step in life, to take the next step in faith. Because honestly, I believe, at least for me, that if God were to show me the whole thing, it would scare me to death, and I would be paralyzed by fear. But because I can only see just a little bit more, I step in faith, 
And I step in faith, and we step in faith, and we take the next step and the next step, and, and God is there with us every step of the way. And so my question for you is, what's your next step? What step do you need to take? You don't have to map the whole thing out. You don't have to know how it's all going to work out. You just need to take the next step. And I invite you to write down, what is your next step? And to be honest with yourself and, you know, cover up the paper as you write if you need to. And, and don't try to look off your neighbor. What's your next step? What do you need to do? Do you need to write a letter? Do you need to explain it to somebody? Do you, do you need to, to share that with them? Do you need to cut up the credit cards? Do you, do you need to make a phone call? Do you need to fill out a resume? Do you need to extend or ask for forgiveness? Maybe your next step is that you need to surrender your life to Christ for the first time and get that relationship right with Him. Maybe your next step is, is you need to be obedient to Him. Maybe you need to be obedient in, in baptism. Maybe you need to, to take that next step and, and talk to someone. Maybe you need to join a small group. Maybe I don't know what your next step is, but would you make the commitment, not just an eager willingness that I think we all have. We're all like, okay, yes, this week's going to be different, this week's going to be better, and, but we don't make the commitment. We have an eager willingness. Will you make the commitment? Will you take the next step? Will you do what God has called you to do? As we prepare for Easter, I keep thinking about Jesus and, and everything he went through and, and how he, he was tortured and, and all those things that led up to, the, to him carrying the cross and, and him walking up the, the hill that they call Golgotha to the place of the skull. And, and I can often imagine what that journey looked like. And, and you see pictures of, of what where that place was and what it really looked like. And, and I have to think that, that Jesus just had to take one step at a time. The next step. The next step because he was carrying our sins. Because he did that for you and for me. And, and he desires so much for us to accept his forgiveness that he's offered to us through the cross. He wants us to have that relationship with him. To receive him. To let him be a part of our life. And if we still have breath in our lungs, which we do this morning, then we have unfinished business. We have things that, that he's called us to do, and we need to be encouraged by the truth of God's word. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, it says this, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. There's, there's amazing stories about people who are willing to finish and, and even finish strong and finish uh, even in the face of insurmountable odds. You, you probably heard the story of what happened at the Olympic Games in, in 1968, whenever they were held in Mexico. Uh, John Stephen Akari from Tanzania, he was going to run the, the marathon, you know, 26.2 miles, and he set out to run that. And, and he was running, and about halfway through or somewhere along the race, he, he fell. And he gashed open his leg. And not only did he gash open his leg, but he dislocated his kneecap. I'm just like, ouch, right? And all the other runners passed him by, and they finished the race, and, and again, everybody was leaving, and the, and the stands were emptying out. And to everyone's shock and amazement, this guy, John Stephen Akari, he, he shocked the world when he came into the stadium, hobbling through, his leg wrapped in a towel and you know, blood running down, and he was just hobbling through, and he finished the race. He finished the marathon. Despite all odds, he finished. When everyone else would have quit, he kept going. And can I tell you that I believe we need to have the same type of resolve in our life that even when things seem impossible, whenever we get knocked down and things hurt and we don't know how to take the next step, that we just get up and with great resolve, with extreme commitment, we take the next step and we finish the race because we have unfinished business. 
A reporter asked him, why did you do that? Why did you finish the race when no one else would have? And in his comment, his reply is pretty amazing. He says, my country did not send me 5,000 miles to Mexico City to start a race. They sent me 5,000 miles to finish the race. He was committed. He took the next step. He did that. And we need to learn from that example as well. See, God didn't send us to earth and, and give us life just so we could start the race. He sent us to finish the race, to commit and to finish. Paul gives us some challenging words in, in Acts chapter 20, verse 24. He says, However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. If only I may finish the race to complete the task the Lord has given me. You know what it was for Paul? For Paul it was to testify to the gospel of grace. That was the task that was set before him. What has God set before you? What has God called you to do? And can I tell you that regardless of your specific role, regardless of the specific, specific, I can't even say that word this morning, no matter how specific it is for you to be a parent, to be a mom, to be a dad, to be a spouse, to be a grandparent, to be a child, to, to be an employer, whatever your specific role is, can I tell you that God has also called you, he's called all of us to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, to love your neighbor as yourself that God has called you to be salt and to be light in this world because they so desperately need it. We all desperately need it. We've been called to finish the race. As long as we have life, we've been called to run the race. There will come a day when we will stand before God and, and we'll be able to stand before Him and say, it is finished. And the question I think we need to ask ourselves is, will we finish well? Are we going to be able to finish strong? I think we can at least help ourselves down that path of what God has called us to do by making a commitment and taking the next step. We have a privilege of offering an invitation to you every week, and, and today is no different. We offer an invitation to you so that you can accept Christ as your Lord and Savior. You can turn your life over to Him and, and start that relationship with God. You can turn your sins over to Him and accept the forgiveness that He extends to us on the cross. You can have life and life to the full. That's the gift that God has given to us through the Son, Jesus Christ, and what He did for us on the cross. Maybe for you, you need to accept that. Maybe you need to walk in obedience today, and you need to say, I haven't been walking the way God wants me to walk, and I want to get it right. I want to start taking the right steps. I want to make that commitment and not just be willing, but be committed. Maybe you just need to talk to somebody about what's going on in your life because you don't know what step to take feel like you're in the storm and can I tell you that God is faithful. God is with you every step of the way because he loves you. I'm going to invite you to stand with me. Ian and the band, they're going to lead us in this invitation song. If you want to talk to someone, you want to make a decision, you want to turn your life over to Christ, you make your way over to the cross and we'll meet you there.